Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Move Nourish podcast, where we discuss nutritious eating, functional movement, and herbal medicine to help you move, eat, and live better. I'm your host, Alyssa. And I'm Forrest, and we are clinical herbalists, movement coaches, and wellness nerds. Let's get started. So today we're going to be going over the idea of movement as nutrition. We're going to talk about movement nutrients, how we become deficient in certain ones, and why even high-level athletes aren't exempt. Let's dive in. So Forrest, what do we mean when we say movement as nutrition? Yeah, so it's interesting. So we have the idea of the things that nourish us nourish our bodies and are required by our bodies for functioning and throughout history we ate certain foods and we moved in certain ways that was just the natural way of being that usually but not always provided balance and we've devoted a lot of study to what is it in food that we exactly need for functioning in the body but exercise science is a little bit behind in that we, we yeah it's still catching up we kind of think about it more as oh you need to move more <laughs> which is true but looking at things more specifically looking at the reason that movement is healthy the reason we need to move more the reason that we are suffering from health problems from inactivity in a sedentary lifestyle is that movements have an effect on the body down to a cellular level. So movement nutrition is the idea that we can think about movement as the nutrition of physics. It is mm. the nutrition that affects us through the physical forces it puts into our bodies. There's always physical forces affecting us, no matter if it's moving in the gym or if it's literally sitting in a chair. The way you're held in space creates always. physical force. It's mm -hmm. always yeah, you're always moving be. or in some way, shape or form. It's the, the quality or the diversity of those movements. Exactly. What I love about this metaphor or this idea of thinking about and talking about movement as nutrition is that it carries over in a couple of interesting ways, right? So just like nutrition, we need quality and quantity. And you exactly. could say quality also, I would include diversity in that as well, right? So just like you need a certain baseline level of calories and you also need a certain diversity of nutrients, that carries over to this metaphor as well, right? We need a certain baseline level of input, right? We need a certain amount of movement, movement Which is calories, like if you will. Move, movement calories, right? <laughs> yeah. And then we have our movement macronutrients that exercise science is, start, is, mm. is talking about. Mm -hmm. Kind of, we need some cardio, we need conditioning, we need some strength training, we need some Walking. mobility work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I and mean, then we can think about that's the, that's the macros. And, and we're even getting the part of the science where we're realizing, oh, you can have too many, just like you have too many carbs, you can have too much cardio and conditioning. The micronutrients is the place where I don't think the research is just barely scratching the surface. It's a hundred years behind the study Nutrition of vitamins. Science. and So we've kind of taken our best guesses based on our experience working with movement and based mm -hmm. on just looking at what are the movements that we evolved with as humans mm -hmm. that were a part of human moving all around the world. Yeah. So <laughs> let's talk about, let's give a couple of examples for people of what some of these individual movement nutrients are. And then we'll talk a little bit about how people, what are, what the common quote unquote deficiencies we see are and give folks a couple of examples. So the first one that comes to my mind that you and I talk about frequently uh, is this uh, 
core movement. So to give an example of some core movements that we evolved with, right? So some of our core movements that humans evolved with squatting. Right. Um, or, or to start with walking or on walking. two legs. Walking so on two legs. Squatting, which developed because we walk on two legs. And since we walk on two legs, we need to we have a lot more diversity in the way we have to get down to the ground and do mm -hmm. stuff than an animal that might walk on four legs. Yeah. And then we have a lot of diversity in what we do with our hands while on the ground. Sitting on the ground yeah. is very overlooked and was a part of how we existed for so long. Are you sitting um, on the ground right now for us? I am. I'm squatting in a chair, so <laughs> I'm halfway there. I'm teasing you. Yeah, and then another excellent one that you and I talk about a lot uh, that is probably the most common deficiency uh, that I feel like we would say we both see would be the hip hinge, right? The hip hinge, More exactly. More commonly, people might know the specific example of it as a deadlift, right? A deadlift, deadlift. is an example of a loaded hip hinge, but yeah, it's we using hip hinge in lots of other contexts too. It's just the deadlift is mo most identifiable Exactly. One. Yeah, the deadlift is using the hip hinge to pick something up. You can also use the hip hinge to jump. You can use the hip mm -hmm. hinge on the ground in shrimping. As mm -hmm. a, right, as a jujitsu uh, movement. Yeah. So what's interesting about this, and so let's actually, what happens when we get a movement nutrient deficiency? What happens right. when we have a hip hinge deficiency? Right, so if we think about the hip hinge is a hip dominant movement that allows you to bend forward without using excessive range of motion in the knees, which would be a squat, or in the back, which would be like a forward fold in yoga. Mm -hmm. So if the hinge is absent, first of all, on the practical level, you only have the squatting and the forward folding strategy for picking things up. Or for getting and, down to the ground. Or for getting down to the ground, which means you put more wear and tear on either the knees or on the back than you would if you had a third strategy. But the next thing is looking at the hinge, unlike the forward fold and more so than the squat, requires a dynamic equilibrium between the hip flexors and the hamstrings. And I know a lot of us, especially that have sedentary jobs, are dealing with tight hip flexors and tight hamstrings. And so the hinge is a pattern that dynamically encourages both of them to lengthen and strengthen and, strength and, them and play other. with each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the hinge also encourages a lot of dynamic stability throughout the core that is core stability that more so than something we do on the ground in a core exercise, the core activation we get in a big pattern like the hinge is going to carry over into other activities that we're doing more throughout life. I think also something that people are missing out on when they are not hip hinging or in addition to everything that you just said is that in the powerlifting world or in the lifting world, it's well known, right? Like your deadlift is your biggest number. It's your heaviest lift. Mm -hmm. It is the way of lifting something heavy from the ground. That is the, it is our most powerful engine, right? That hip right. chest, like that whole part of the body working in coordination with the torso and the communication that happens there facilitates and allows us to lift more weight than any other way of really us lifting things up. Exactly. We can lift more weights in a safer manner. Yes. And I love squats and then forward Time. bends have their place. Obviously, forward bends you're not wanting to do a ton of weight with unless you really know what you're doing. But the hinge allows you to work in a much safer range of motion for lifting up really heavy weights. And it's more accessible. I've taught hinges to 
80-year-old ladies to pick up groceries and things like that. And it is something that we can all access. Excellent. So something else I think that bears mentioning here, since, you know, we're, we'll have some folks who are, you know, active movers, are athletes listening in, is that athletes, you even competitive athletes, y'all are not necessarily exempt from this idea of movement nutrient deficiencies. Right. I think that is a little bit counterintuitive because we, for a layperson or even for me, right, you think someone who trains all the time, trains every day, trains maybe twice a day. You think, no way, they must, they're they they're must getting be getting plenty all of the nutrients. Right? Yeah. But that's not the case. We see it all the time, right? We see, depending on the sport, depending on the person, depending on their lifestyle, right? You're, exactly. Everybody has probably got a couple of gaps mm -hmm. that are either not super noticeable to them right now or not super noticeable to them yet or have started to affect or been affecting their performance or their quality of life. Yeah. And while I would say I find the hinge as one of the dominant nutrient deficiencies in somebody who's new to moving mm -hmm. or maybe just going to the gym to try to start to get healthier. More often, athletes are getting some hinge in their programming, whether it's in the function of their sports like jumping and throwing or mm -hmm. it's through just deadlifts in their strength and conditioning program. But mainstream strength and conditioning is often very sagittal, very front and back orientated mm -hmm. in its approach. And that leaves rotational and lateral movements. So we can think about rotational as, uh, let's think about the chop. Mm -hmm. The chop pattern involves both the rotational pattern of the torso and the kind of spiraling pattern of the shoulder. So chopping can be a really excellent supplemental movement pattern for a lot of athletes who are missing those rotational patterns in their sport and in their in most of their training. Yeah. And I think one exception to that from my sport, right? Martial artists are probably some of the only, not the only, but certainly one group of athletes that do get, there's a lot of rotation in our sport. There's a lot of rotational movements in our sport, but that doesn't mean, and I would actually consider, I'm very biased, freely admit, but I would actually consider martial arts a sport where you have a, a really great movement diversity, but that doesn't mean that it's perfect, right? If you think about an MMA athlete or a jiu-jitsu athlete, something they might be missing just for general health purposes and strength purposes, we don't do a lot of overhead movements. We don't do a lot of, a ton of direct overhead presses. We don't do, it's not called for in our sport to do a lot of directly overhead pull-up motions. So mm -hmm. it's not, no sport is exempt. And I think that there is no perfect sport. So that's why this is a longer conversation and why, right. why strategic programming is actually really important in the same way I would argue that strategic supplementation of nutrients is important because exactly. the world that we live in no longer facilitates this. And, and in fact, I would argue actively works against us sometimes in, in our pursuit of a balanced movement diet, if you will. Right. And you can think about shoulder impingement is a really common concern with martial artists. And what nutrient helps with shoulder impingement? It's the hanging pattern mm -hmm. so brachiation. the, the yeah. brachiation dead hangs the bottom of a pull-up that pattern there's studies showing that people who hang have a larger space for the supraspinatus tendon it may be that evolutionarily reason we might not have suffered from shoulder impingements throughout human history was that we were still having to periodically climb. Trees. yeah, yeah. So 
let's leave folks with, uh, we've already sort of given examples from our, you know, respective movement worlds and some examples that we see, but can we give, can we leave folks with a way to take a look at their own movement diet? And I, and I know this is a very complicated and long conversation, and this is something that we do for folks on a very individual uh, custom level inside of our programming, but what are the steps to starting to fill in the gaps here? And I would say that the first one would be you have to assess, right? And that assessment yeah. takes a while to learn, right? I have to be able to, I have to know enough and I have to know enough about the different yeah. macronutrients and micronutrients to be able to assess someone's current movement diet, if you right. will. And, or and I think that's that would a, be step one. Yeah, and I think that's a place for uh, stay tuned. We'll have more information soon on our opinion of the different nutrients and some of the different natural human movements to look for and to play with. I think I uh -huh. would be able to feel comfortable telling folks though, like, if you can start with nothing else, start with sitting on the floor. Start with your archetypal exactly. rest postures. Th those are scalable. Those are accessible. And those also help you build movement. And we're going to have another episode where we talk about movement as a, you know, movement as a lifestyle versus movement as just exercise. But those are a really important and easy way to build more movement into your day. Because inevitably, let me tell you, when you sit on the floor, you're going to be changing positions quite frequently. So you're going to be rotating through a good diversity of positions. And then you're also sprinkling in more movement when you have to just get up and down from the floor. Right. So Because there's yeah, a million I, different I ways think... to get up and down from the floor. I think that the ground is really the best place to start for most folks. The archetype, all the different ways of sitting and being on the ground and then how to transition. All the playing with how do you, when you're sitting cross-legged, like what's the different ways you can move from cross-legged to kneeling to mm -hmm. then playing with your squat a little bit. And the deep squat is a rest posture that eludes a lot of people, but it really is something that through yeah, slowly working on it can uh, really start to become a pattern that is a lot more comfortable. And then yet moving on the ground, crawling, rolling, all playing with the different ways of moving across the ground. And then the journey to up the journey to, if you get down on the ground, you're going to have to get back up and get ups, not just Turkish, all get ups are welcome here. Are <laughs> a really amazing pattern that work a lot of different movements and so just playing with what are the different ways i can get up from this position i could lunge up i could squat up i can kind of walk back into a forward fold there's all kinds of different ways that you can play with getting up yeah so that's your homework listeners find a couple of different sit on the floor in in a couple of different positions and then find at least three novel ways to get up off the ground yes all right this has been the Move Nourish podcast. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. And we'll see you next time.